Welcome back to the Hill of Roses, where we come once again to celebrate the best contributors to our united progressive movement. With me today, I have Tom Lung. Uh, he had been on our program previously for one of our candidate supporter debates. Welcome back to the program, Tom. Hello, Rosebuds. Thank you for having me back, John. It's been a few months. A lot has changed, but I'm still fired up. Yeah, uh, as, as you knew from the time, Tom is from what was Nerd for Yang. Uh, now he is doing Nerds for Humanity because since that time period apart, uh, there's been a lot that's happened in the race. Yang no longer is there. And so we have to figure out how to go forward. And so I have Tom on today to, instead of talking about Yang, talking about his own priorities today. And so like I do with all my guests, we're here to talk about his top three political priorities which Tom gave me when he signed up was restoring competency to the executive office, giving hope to working slash middle class, and then finally campaign finance reform. Tom, I wanted to start with restoring competency to the executive office. How did this become such an important priority for you? And what does competency really look like in your mind? Yeah, thanks for, the, uh, for bringing this up first. It's something I feel really strongly about. Basically... For me, I mean, I've, I've been working in the private sector for, you know, 20 plus years now. And, you know, if in, in great companies, you require great leadership and great leadership in a company. And I'm not saying uh, America is a company, but I'm saying my experience having been led by great leaders is they tend to have a very clear vision but they're also really good at uh, making hard decisions, communicating, um, building alignment within complex organizations, and um, having like very data-driven and sound uh, frameworks for making hard uh, hard calls. And what I've noticed with the Trump presidency, and it, and honestly. You could argue uh, George W. made a lot of terrible decisions, mm -hmm. although he came across a little bit more businesslike. Um, but Trump it really takes it to a whole new level mm -hmm. in terms of being very kind of fly by the seat of your pants, very much like he believes in, in my opinion, he believes in his intuition and makes decisions like uh, in a very kind of rash manner. And to me, the president of the United States, the most powerful and influential country on the planet, needs to be one of the world's best decision makers. Mm -hmm. And I would not describe Donald Trump as one of the world's best decision makers. Uh, yeah, you don't think he makes the best deals? No, I make the best deals. No. <laughs> <laughs> He's really good at telling a story at um showmanship sort of yeah and and like uh stimulating people's like kind of animal instincts mm -hmm. um so like i i give him credit i mean he is a little bit like you know barnum and bailey like kind of pt barnum kind of vibe to him and and that is hard it's like people actually i find they underestimate him by saying he's just an idiot he's not an idiot he's actually really clever and cunning, and he's very manipulative. But those are not things that I want our president to have. Like, uh, there's a place for 
that type of character. Uh, but I don't think it's the Oval Office. Yeah, I, I'm curious. What do you think is the impact of this? Because I think a lot of people, when they hear top priorities, they think, okay, I got a policy because this is directly going to impact my life. What does the impact of having incompetency in the executive office uh, do to people? Why is it such a top priority for you? Well, I think the main reason is that while we all have policies that we're fired up about, the president has to make decisions probably on an hour-to-hour basis across dozens of important topics. And probably some of the hardest problems we're going to encounter, we don't know what they are. And so in that world, in my opinion, you'd want someone that can handle unexpected things. COVID is a great example. Mm -hmm. Nobody was talking about COVID six to nine months ago. And now it requires uh, lots of strategic thinking, tactical thinking, great communications, trust, leadership, integrity. And I think we are suffering because Trump probably looked at it. He was probably more focused on how is this going to make me look as a president Mm -hmm. than what's in the best interest of the population. And, you know, I think we'll, you know, we'll make, we'll, we'll come out of this all right, but I think we probably will have incurred more costs and perhaps more lives lost than we needed to. Yeah, I think that's definitely a, a fair thing to say that this has been mismanaged, particularly this crisis, and this is a moment where we need clear leadership. I was actually just talking with uh, Mike Breyer in my interview, Senate candidate mm-hmm. uh, running against Mitch McConnell, and he said... The fundamental thing that was the biggest mistake of the Trump administration uh, is that they are not truthful in handling this crisis. That was the biggest mishandling of the coronavirus because if you can't trust the information, then you're going to have people acting in irrational ways Um, because we don't have competency. Even if Trump gives sound advice, many people are just not going to trust him either. And so I'm, I'm curious... And when in comparison, when we had this whole primary, would you have said that all of the individuals in like the Democratic primary exemplified executive competence? Because I know we said all of our past presidents, maybe barring George W. Bush, kind of had this uh, character. Do you think mm. our our primary process had that on display? In fairness, there were probably many other presidents who did not have great kind of executive competence. Like I'm not sure Reagan was fantastic as a sort of leader of a complex organization. Uh, He was a great communicator. Now, to answer your question, what about the Democratic primary field? No, I don't think... uh, I mean, here's, here's the hard truth. I don't think the most capable leaders want to become president. I think that's fair. I, I think the most capable leaders are running you know, Fortune 100 companies, or they're running their own massive foundations, nonprofits, maybe they would go for mayor or governor, but to go for president, uh, I think a lot of people run the calculation and they say, I'm not going to be able to get much done. I've got to play this swampy game. Um, there's very little upside for me. I probably won't even make it. You know, all there's like a million reasons. And so our field, 
uh, also the democratic field. I think there, if you look across the Democratic Party, there are probably tons of people that are more capable from an executive leadership point of view than that field. Uh, but they're they're running other organizations now, and they probably won't enter uh, this this uh, profession unless uh, unless something fundamental changes. And maybe, you know, that's where the campaign finance comes in, but or like things get so bad that people get fed up. And I think in some ways, that's why Yang kind of emerged. Mm. He doesn't strike me as someone who's been pining away his whole life to become president. I think he saw like, oh, my God, the place is just so effed yeah. up. And nobody's nobody's going to solve it. Like, forget it. I'll, I'll throw my hat in the ring, not because I think, you know, I'm entitled to this role, but because I want to fix this problem. And uh, so I'm I'm a little disappointed in the current primary and the way we're going right now. But I think uh, even Biden or Bernie would be an improvement over Trump and yeah. a major improvement in many ways. Yeah, I, I would personally say that I agree with your point that not all of them showed ideal uh, executive competency. But when the bar is Trump, I think all of the candidates beat him in that regard um maybe you could you could make arguments that maybe marianne was not like particularly executive oriented she was very out there but i think in general most of them did and i still love marianne despite that uh she's a, a wonderful individual but i i'm curious how do we try to prevent this from happening in in the future so that we actually do have competent leadership as well what do we do when we already have incompetent leadership do we just have to live it out through the primary or not through the primary, sorry, until the next election. Well, in the long run, uh, you know, I, I do, um, subscribe to a lot of like basic economic theory and, you know, one of the fundamental precepts is, it, it, is it's about incentives mm. and people make calculations based on their return on investment. And so if you're super competent, what are your alternatives? One alternative is to lead like a multi-billion dollar or more organization and be able to have strong executive control, not have a legislature in your company that you have to debate with and yeah. get you know, vetoed or impeached by and then have a Supreme Court looking. I mean, they have a board of directors, you know, but CEOs, I think have way more uh, ability to impact their organization than the president does. And so they're they're running the numbers. A lot of them are, I would imagine. And they're saying like, wait a minute, I could lead an amazing company. I could build a great company. I could help employ thousands or tens of thousands of people. I could, I could develop these cool products or services. Um, I run the show. Or... I can enter this convoluted primary process, spend all my time begging for money, and, you know, in Yang's case, not get any media attention, mm -hmm. you know, get basically blacked out, and for what? For And then spend two years of my life doing that? Like, I mean, that's why I feel like what he's done, and all of these candidates, you know, they, they have sacrificed a lot, um, but but ultimately... You know, there's an interesting example, and this would be controversial, but whatever. We're, we're yeah. on a podcast. Yeah. We be <laughs> That's what so, they're built for. 
Like, if you look at Singapore, they pay their ministers, the equivalent of the presidential, like, secretaries of, of uh, the different cabinet. Mm -hmm. They pay those ministers compensation that is um, matched to uh, multinational company benchmarking salaries for C-level executives. They do it for two reasons. One is they want their leaders to be um, so financially comfortable that they're less likely to be um, bribed. Uh, and secondly, I think a lot of smart people in Singapore like really want to become you know, minister of finance, minister of health, minister of this and that. And, and when you watch them, like uh, I, I lived in Singapore for a couple of years and I was like, wow, these guys are like very, very competent, like highly, highly educated, very capable, very um, crisp in their thinking. And I do wonder if we need to basically rethink the incentives for uh, public service. Now, the sad thing is you would hope that people just love the country and want to give back and they're willing to, you know, sacrifice. And, and, you know, in the old days, I think, you know, it was designed that you would just go to DC for a couple of years and then go back to your regular life. But I think the, the game is different now where you can't just go for a couple of years. You have to kind of like build up uh, a war chest and a network and all this stuff. Like it's a, it's a 10, 20 year investment. Yeah. And um, so fundamentally that makes it very unattractive. And I loved one of Yang's proposal was, I think it was to pay the, the president, increase the presidential pay. I think he was willing to do it after yeah, him. It was 4 million that he wanted to set it to. Yeah, that's great, man. Why not? Like, why not get the best people to uh, align incentives? Um, because what we have now, there are amazing people running for office. A lot of Yang Gang, are running for Congress, and I feel like they're doing it for the right reasons. But uh, you look at that presidential field, I don't know. I don't know if all of them were completely selfless. <laughs> like, why the hell did Deval Patrick even enter oh, the race? that was for a cabinet spot. That's 100% right? sure. Yeah. Such a waste of time. Like, what are you doing, man? You're not even out there campaigning. You're just like, like hanging your shingle it's just it's it's offensive to me yeah yeah i i strongly agree with you there that you do need to kind of tie the incentives because otherwise they're going to just be looking to get the favors you look at barack obama now he is doing speaking fees out the wazoo he's got his netflix deals nothing to make uh, light of him being able to make money but i bet there would be a lot more jimmy carter behavior had he been paid four million instead um and i think furthermore I do appreciate Yang being one of the only few who actually talked about this issue that you're bringing up because not only the increase in pay, but making sure that there are actual psychologists and psychiatrists within the White House so that not just the top guy, the president, uh, it's the whole executive team is being tested for competency because I don't know about you, but my competency goes way down when I'm not surrounded by competent individuals. Um, oh, yeah. because they make us look good and that's what a cabinet is built for. So I bet you if Trump had um, a competent cabinet compared to just putting in a lot of the donors that he had from his election, um, who like Betsy DeVos, not qualified, probably going to make him dumber on education policy. That goes a long way. 
Um, so I, I'd be curious, how, how do you think people should test this going forward? How can you, on the trail, try to test someone's competency or look for signals of competency? Is it more looking for the mistakes rather than looking for the successes? I think part of it is looking at, I mean, you could think of it as uh, the way, I hate to use another private sector analogy, but um, that's what I know. So I would say if you interview someone for a job, the job interview itself is important, but a big part of it is their their experience mm -hmm. and what have they done. And uh, a second part of it is the job interview process. And in the job interview process, you would never hire someone by saying, okay, I am looking for a new VP of marketing. Uh, I'm going to invite the other eight candidates for this job. And I'm gonna have you all on a stage. And I'm gonna give you 30 seconds to answer these <laughs> random questions. Like, cause you don't really get into the nuts and bolts, like the really core of who a person is. I think that's why a lot of the Yang gang really liked Andrew because he was willing to put himself out there and sit for like these two hour interviews. Yeah. Um, and you really did get to know him. You don't see uh, a lot of candidates doing that. So to answer your question, if I really wanted to evaluate competency, I would have a lot more long form, hard conversations. Uh, the second thing is I would look at a track record for delivering results and uh, leading complex organizations and making hard decisions and then building strong teams. Now, if you apply that to Trump, what you would find is that, in my opinion, um, he led a family-owned real estate promotion business. And you could argue, well, what what do you like? We could set aside like whether uh, he, how successful he was. Like clearly, he had more success than most uh, land developers. But what what led to that? Well, I think a big part of it was promotion. He had to sell like the Taj Mahal Casino, the largest casino in Atlantic City, or you know the Trump University, the best deal-making yeah. skills you'll ever have, right? Like the that, that's what he's good at, the, mm -hmm. the P.T. Barnum stuff. Mo like, if you look at the Trump organization and you look at that leadership team, you've got um, Ivanka, you've got Don Jr., you've got the other, the other son. <laughs> um, you know, these are not... They would not probably do very well in non-family-owned corporations. I would say maybe Ivanka, but the rest, um, yeah. you know, we're not world-class operators. And um, so, yeah, I, I feel like the way we pick our president is is sort of this kabuki theater. It's like, well, we're going to call this a debate, but it's not really a debate. Yeah. We're going to call this an interview, but it's going to be a three, four minute segment. You know, uh, we're going to we're going to say like you're going to leader of the free world, but we're going to spend most of the time trying to see if you, you know, get stuck on some esoteric question and play gotcha. And that's not how you pick a VP at a global corporation or a middle manager at even a national corporation. But somehow we've gotten into a place where that's how we pick our president, which is quite, quite sad.
Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, we have to get a little bit away from this reality TV kind of approach to politics because, of course, we could tell they're not bringing their finest here, as uh, Trump likes to say it. Uh, I would say that we can go a long way to helping on your next top priority of helping the working and middle class if we actually can just bring some of this competency. Uh, so we're going to be right back. We're going to take a quick break. Join us in part two where we can talk to Tom about his second top priority, which is helping the working and middle class.